Hey folks, David Chen here. In the first 12, 13 minutes of this episode, you may hear a smoke detector slash alarm going off in the background uh, for a little bit. Really sorry about this. Obviously, we're recording this podcast in the real world. So stuff's going on and we can't always control it, but uh, the noise should go away after the first 12, 13 minutes or so. But just wanted to let you know that's what's going on and it should not be throughout the entire episode. Enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and eventually there will be dinosaurs in this movie about dinosaurs, I think. <laughs> Joining me today is Devinder Hardwar. I'm happy to report this movie is YBD, referring, of course, to BD Wong, who teens <laughs> think is a very big deal. Uh, Jeff Kanata. I'm Jeff Kanata, and on this week's episode, anytime my co-hosts stop speaking... I would like you to imagine me holding my hand up at them and looking sternly. (laughs) (laughs) Down, boy! Down! Down! Joining us today also, he is a filmmaker and video essayist, Patrick H. Willems. I'm Patrick Willems, and I am pissed off right now because I lost all my money in the illegal dinosaur pit fights in Malta. (laughs) (laughs) Those are, of course, all extremely oblique references to the fact that today on this podcast, we're going to be reviewing Jurassic World Dominion. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. Support this podcast at patreon.com slash filmpodcast, where you can sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive After Darks. This week on The After Dark, we're going to be discussing the HBO original series, Barry, season three, which we will have finished by the time we record that After Dark. Uh, well worth checking out. Patrick H. Willems, you into you on the Barry train? I, I am like three episodes behind. Okay, well, we will not talk about what happened. We weren't going to spoil it during the main episode anyway, but you're a fan, I assume. I am a fan. I've been watching the season. I've enjoyed what I've seen. I've just, uh, for as as I will talk more about in a minute, I've been very busy lately and am behind on all media that has come out in the past few weeks. (laughs) So you haven't even seen episode six yet. Yeah, I would say prioritize this one, Patrick. Uh, Yeah. Oh, yes. This one is at the top of my list. Also, (laughs) half-hour episodes manageable. So yes, good. super. There's no Stranger Things where it's like feature film for every episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, folks. Well, before we get to what we've been watching, uh, and then move on into our review of Jurassic World Dominion, I do want to say a quick uh, word about the box office for Jurassic World Dominion. Now, those who have been listening to this podcast for any amount of time know that we did a summer movie wager, which you can keep track of at thesummermoviewager.com. Patrick H. Willems, I want you to take your your mindset back to, I don't know, six weeks ago. And could you have predicted what you thought the number one movie at the box office this summer would be? Well, if you could have predicted, what would it have been? Any any guesses as to you what know, it would have been? I probably would say like Thor or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Great it hasn't choice. come out yet. We we don't know how that'll do. Yeah. Um, it was a thing where I was I was hoping Top Gun would do well, uh, but I was <laughs> yeah, you, also you could have easily just right now just been like, oh, I would have definitely said Top Gun Maverick, and anyone who didn't is an idiot. I think. Yes, yeah, but you, Jeff, yeah. I'm an honest man, <laughs> and I'm well, that's telling where the you truth. You and I and, differ, and, and and honestly, I uh, really did not anticipate the 
the hunger and appetite that <laughs> Americans and international audiences had for the return of Pete Maverick Mitchell. It's so true. Well, on the Summer Movie Wager, which you can keep track of at thesummermoviewager.com, every single person on the podcast, on the Filmcast podcast, uh, plus people from outside the podcast, a, a number of people who make a substantial part of their living talking about movies, thinking about movies, uh, predicted that Jurassic World Dominion would be the number one movie at the box office. It seemed so obvious. Every, every single person on that podcast predicted that Jurassic World Dominion would be number one. Uh, we now know how much Jurassic World Dominion opened with, which is around $143 million. Now, that is very strong. Not shabby. Yeah. It is still a hit. Not shabby. But at, in, in its current trajectory, it will not beat Top Gun Maverick. It will not be Top Gun Maverick, which currently looks on track to be the number one movie at the box office this summer, possibly of 2022. We'll see how well uh, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, and Avatar The Way of Water do. But this movie could be the number, Top Gun Maverick could be the number one movie of 2022 at this current trajectory. Thor is sitting there, you know? Thor has something to say, I think, but yeah, I think you're, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's possible. It's possible. Thor, Thor is the only other movie that could unseat Top Gun Maverick. But right now, Jurassic World Dominion looks headed to a $400 million domestic take, which is very, very good. Incredible. But Top Gun Maverick, basically already there. It's basically yeah. already at a $400 million take, <laughs> and it's like three weeks in to its yeah. run. So it's like, yeah. dude, it is going all the way, man. It is going all the way. So To the what zone? <laughs> Money zone. The yeah. danger zone? <laughs> Is what I understand. Danger zone. We have to root for Thor to beat Maverick, just so that we're not <laughs> so wrong for Jermaine. We, get, you know, we may be wrong about Jurassic World, but then we were all wrong about Jurassic World. And then if if Thor just ekes it out over uh, over Top Gun, then we could be like, Jermaine. See, I'm actually hoping. I'm actually hoping that uh, Thor beats every movie except Top Gun because uh-huh, that would put uh-huh. it dead on for me and give me some really like I, I would. That would be the best case scenario for me is if Thor uh-huh. beats every movie except Top Gun. So mm-hmm. we will see. We will see. Okay. Anyway, again, you can keep track of that at thesummermoviewager.com. But uh, I, I mean, it's fair to say that we. Made fun of Jermaine Lucier ruthlessly oh, on the podcast. Brutal. Like, like to, to, an, to an extent that we will regret forever, you know? <laughs> oh, uh, yes. I mean, regardless of how this plays out, we are jackasses. I mean, just massive. Just like, the just, worst. Just the worst. terrible humans. But I will say this. <laughs> you know, all, all the people tweeting at us, uh, uh, you know, in, in enjoying their schadenfreude uh, with us, yeah, k- kudos to you. Okay, cool. Uh, a, none of you got it either. I guarantee you. But B, <laughs> B, that's the fun. Like I, anybody that's, I know it's been a couple of years since we've done the summer movie wager, so we may be out of practice. But the joy, ladies and gentlemen, is is in realizing just mm-hmm. how dumb we are. Yes. And how, we want to be surprised. We want to yes. be surprised. Yes, yeah. totally, totally. All right, let's move on and get to what we've been watching this week. Patrick H. Willems, tell us something you've been watching this week. Uh, well, if I'm being honest with you, Dave, um, I haven't really been watching much of anything this week. Uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah, my, Why my, is that, Patrick? He's an honest man. He's an well, honest man. Well, you know, I'll, I'll talk about that in the weekly plug section. I've just, I've been... 
busy. I have watched fragments of some TV shows and mm-hmm. not enough of anything to to really like justify talking about it here. Um, I've watched pieces of movies, but uh, I, the, uh, the last film that I watched to completion other than Jurassic World Dominion um, uh, was on June 1st. Uh, I, I, I went to the uh, Brooklyn Alamo Draft House for uh, the Encore with three R's event, the return of the the Indian blockbuster RRR to theaters. It was my fourth time seeing it in theaters. Uh, it has been <laughs> wow. years since I saw a movie that many times uh, in, in the theater. And uh, the uh, last time I saw a movie that many times in theaters was uh, Mission Impossible Fallout, actually, which <laughs> yeah. I saw five times in theaters. Patrick, I mean, uh, seeing that movie four times in theaters, that's 12 total R's. It is. <laughs> a lot and of you R's. know what? I'm, and, I'm ready to collect a few more. <laughs> and many, many hours. You're going to reach a whole day at some point. It's true. Just RRR. It, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I already made a half hour video about that movie. So the amount of time I've spent thinking about it and talking about it and writing about it is uh, like unquantifiable at this point. But um, it is, I mean, you guys didn't, that was your last episode, right? It was. Yes. You finally covered it after yes. people screaming at you about it for months. Mostly you, but yes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, no, but it was well worth it and a, and a great time. Dave, but, I, saw, uh, I saw your your Twitter mentions and just people being like, "When are you going to do an RRR episode?" And uh, <laughs> they finally beat you down. But um, it, look, it's, true. Had, it's true. Important things to talk about, like Morbius. Yes. I, I don't know if you were aware. It's the summer of Morbius, Patrick. <laughs> so so I've heard. Uh, <laughs> which is, I don't know. I saw I saw Morbius. I I, I had a visit to the doctor. Um, yeah, I still think about it frequently. Uh, anyway, here's a question. Here's a question for you. What is there anything you picked up on or appreciated even more on your fourth time watching RRR? It is. I don't think so. Having dissected this movie just so thoroughly and exhaustively, it's really the thing where the, have you guys all seen it in a theater? No, none of us have. It's a huge bummer. I I I would love to. It's a bummer because on Netflix, it is A, the wrong aspect ratio, and B, the wrong language. Mm -hmm, So, but it still rules. But uh, but it (laughs) is. Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln. Anyway, yeah. (laughs) But the theater experience is really like, like almost nothing I've experienced in a very long time where it's like, you know, Marvel movies, everyone knows all the characters and is primed to like, you know, cheer at the, like the, the stuff they recognize or like the cameos and stuff like that. And I have seen RRR with an, an almost entirely South Indian audience. I have seen it with audiences of mostly just of, of, of like entirely Americans who know almost nothing about it. And, um, and it doesn't matter every single time the audience just loses their mind and is just cheering and hooting and hollering and uh, through the whole thing. And it, it, it's just this, this, col- this beautiful collective experience that I, I urge every person to, to experience if they have the chance and hopefully it sticks around in theaters for a while longer because there's nothing quite like it. Yeah, I would agree with you. Um, and, it, it, you know, I can imagine that it would be an incredible experience. Unfortunately, not all of us live in New York uh, and don't have it available in theaters, which is a huge bummer. I actually tried to watch it in theaters in Seattle and um, yeah, uh, couldn't find it. Couldn't find I, it. I but, tried and that time commitment is uh, really tough. Really tough to find that time these days. There, There is one thing I wanted to mention, which is that like, I, I think that what makes RRR so refreshing is maybe I'll just say triple R because it's hard to say RRR for me, but 
what makes it so refreshing is how earnest it is and how big the emotions are. And you realize how different it is from U.S. blockbusters of the same size and scale, right? Like the biggest movies we have today are mostly Marvel films. And if anything, what those films have done is taken things that are extremely fantastical and try to ground them as much as possible. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. And, you know, this this RRR takes the uh, the kind of every day, I guess, to some degree, and makes it fantastical, right? It's, it's yeah. the other direction. I, I think the last time we really, really saw this was uh, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy, which I think, going back, are just so fundamentally different than the way the MCU works, you know? Like, kind of mm-hmm. cheesy, kind of corny, but yeah, I love exactly. it. I love it. That's exactly. the New York subway scene in Spider-Man 2. Come on. That's still one of my favorite scenes in superhero and, movies. And, and even those so never pure. had... Yeah. And even those never had a scene where... The wind blows a leaf from a tree against Spider-Man's <laughs> face, and he is reminded of his home, and so he sings a song so inspiring that the public <laughs> joins him and riots against his enemies. Yeah. Love <laughs> that is That is correct. I don't know. Uh, Wasn't that Spider-Man 3? <laughs> well, but once yeah. he started singing and dancing, uh, nobody wanted anything to do with Spider-Man anymore. Yeah. So. Yeah. That was his but, pitch for four that never got made. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not saying I'm not saying that the Marvel films don't have any emotions, and certainly some of the the more broad ones or bigger mm-hmm. fantastical ones like Guardians or Thor, you know, but do it's have, a different vibe, do, right? It's not yeah. it's not quippy, it's not like cynical, it's not like uh, Tony Stark humor. You yeah, know? there's not like deta- there's not a detachment mm-hmm. there, yeah, uh, a, a sort of uh, detachment of like you know. I'm above all this and I'm commenting on it snarkily, you know? Um, but yeah, RRR is a very special movie. You can watch it on Netflix in the wrong language and wrong aspect ratio. Uh, and I would recommend you check out Patrick's video essay on it, which I believe is uh, co-authored by Siddhanta Dlaka. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Yeah, uh, he was a massive help because being from India, he knows a lot more about Indian cinema than I do. Indeed. All right. Um, well, Patrick, uh, that's what Patrick has been watching this week. Devinder Hardwar. What have you been watching this week? Oh, I got to check out the first episode of Miss Marvel, the new show uh, about uh, Kamala Khan, the first like Muslim superhero in in the Marvel universe to to lead a comic, to lead a series. Uh, I have been looking forward to this one for a long, long time because I've enjoyed the comics uh, written by G. Willow Wilson. Um, I think the character is great, and everything we've seen around the show just looked like. It is like full on. They're definitely getting like, um, you know, South Asian culture going on there. Like it is full of color. It is full of energy. Um, The first episode actually directly like she's watching Scott Pilgrim at some point. And that is that is the energy of this show of, uh, you know, very comic booky, lots of doodles, sometimes just even like dividing the screen up into frames. Devendra, Uh, can I jump in for a second? Yes, go ahead. She's not watching Scott Pilgrim. Is it? What is it? It's, It's upside down. She's uh-huh. watching Felicity, starring Kerry Russell. Why does that look like Scott Pilgrim? It does. Anyway, it does. It I, I paused yeah. it and zoomed in. A lot of people have thought that. I want to yeah. be clear here. It is. It is the season one finale of Felicity. Well, mm-hmm. you know what? That's a good show too. So, yeah. without without Felicity, as Joanna Robinson was saying on Twitter, without Felicity, we would we wouldn't have Alias. We wouldn't have any of the J.J. Abrams stuff. Um, but it has the Scott Pilgrim energy. So I'll say that, like the inventiveness, the motion on screen, the like 
urge to do there's like this great shot where it's just her and her friend like walking uh, riding their bikes down the street and the camera's pulled way back you see the whole street and it's just like drawings up on the sides of buildings as they're talking about things it feels like a live action comic so i i'm just really digging that i'm digging iman Vellani as a star um this feels like the most fully formed i i guess you know loki and uh and WandaVision were like pretty solid uh, to, to begin with. But to me, this feels very, very like certain in terms of what they're going to do as a show. Like, I, I feel like the idea is very clear, certainly more than like Moon Knight was for me at the first episode. So I, I'm really digging this. I think it's, you know, really intriguing so far. Hope it, I'm hoping it like st- stays good for the whole season. I believe uh, it sounds like Patrick has also watched it. Patrick, do you have any thoughts on Ms. Marvel at this point? Uh, David, you know, when I said that I had watched fragments of things... <laughs> <laughs> I have watched uh, the first 25 minutes of, yeah. of Miss Marvel. Mm-hmm. That's and, my uh, life, Patrick. D- trust me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I am a childless, unmarried adult. And uh, <laughs> and this is still how, how things are right now. But uh, I, I enjoyed you're, the first 25 minutes. Your, your felicity radar went off. And you're like, it I need absolutely to call, did. Call. Yeah, yeah, you're like, I need to watch where the Felicity is. Yes. In the show, also, yeah. Are the kids really watching Felicity these days? I don't, I don't know about that. I, uh, you know what? <laughs> yeah. I don't talk to enough Gen Z kids, so uh, who knows? Maybe it's come back around. And they like, got, yeah, they into got it. really into Scrubs. They got really into The Office. That was the whole thing. And yeah. uh, maybe, maybe they're just going over all of '90s culture at this point in OO's culture. <laughs> Jefferson Kanata, I believe you've also seen Miss Marvel. You, you actually, okay. I just wanna, I wanna mm-hmm. um, give people some color into uh, how the film cast crew interacts when we're not on the air you know, recording the podcast and uh, we'll, we'll, you know, share like interesting news clips and memes with each other on occasion, but it's very, it's pretty rare when uh, we'll message each other and say, you got to watch this thing because we all know we're all busy. We're all watching different things. Mm-hmm. And it's actually kind of, in, to some degree, sometimes more interesting if we don't know what we're watching, because then sure, we come sure, together, sure. we talk about it here on the podcast. Jeff Kanata cold messages me. He's like, Dave Chen, you got to watch Miss Marvel. Which you you never do you never like message me d- just to recommend yeah, something. yeah. that's message right message me Jeff I uh, well I, I knew that. you were gonna watch it Devendra like you said you've been excited about this show yeah, for a yeah, long yeah, time yeah, I knew yeah. you he were gonna watch he doesn't it. need to I burn a text on you Devendra so. yeah you gotta save that data you know <laughs> <laughs> the SMS data your text points yeah so true so true yeah. <laughs> Uh, but Dave has has soured on the entire uh, Marvel television experiment. I thought that point. was just Star Wars. Or Steve no, no, no. I've, I've been burned. I've watched every single Marvel <laughs> show except for Hawkeye, which I watched most of but didn't finish. That was fun. But yeah. I've watched every single episode of every Marvel show and even recapped many of them on my YouTube channel. Oh, you see. And, that, um, that, was, that was the trouble. You and I feel like yourself. I've been burned. I've been burned <laughs> too many times. Uh-huh. Um, I, I would argue there is not a single Marvel show in its entirety that I would say is I, I, whole, wholly satisfying. I think your your work ethic or the the way you chose to consume these things has destroyed you a little, Dave. So there is that. No, no but disagreement. Yeah, they, but also, they're all they're all like some of them have issues. I wouldn't say all of them, but some of them do. Th- there is not a single one I would recommend to someone who who do, who doesn't already uh, like Marvel stuff. That's what I would say. Sure, sure. So, um. But I, all, I implored all said, you. I said, yeah, set yeah. this aside, David. Please, I, ju- I implore you. I have never been more confident you would like a first episode of a show more than Ms. Marvel. I think you will 
find this very charming and fun. And David, you promptly what ignored me completely on that? Well, you it's just, more <laughs> like it's more like I knew you guys would be talking about it today. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, let's hear what you guys have yeah. to say, and then you, you just want to coast. You want to coast on our, you know, on so our Jeff, information. Jeff, here. what did you? Think? Why, some, why is it so appealing has to you? Some uh, documentary about a whale penis museum that he needs <laughs> yeah. to watch or something. Well, I don't just know. wait. Just wait till my what we've been watching this week. But, uh-huh. but Jeff, what uh, what what is it that made you want to recommend it? So much to me i mean i think basically everything devinder said it, it is it is so well done it's so charming i i, I think the casting is fantastic mm-hmm. uh, i immediately fall in love with uh all of the characters it, it is more than just a superhero show it's kind of like this fun family uh almost like a postmodern uh family sitcom like a like a malcolm in the middle type deal you know yeah 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 yeah. um and uh it's visually excellent i think it is beautifully directed uh feels expensive uh, i mean it, it's i it's great it's great I, I thought it was just so much fun and such a different kind of positive uh, uh television show for 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 marvel it's not there's no trace of sort of that like you know post blink mm-hmm. or post mm-hmm. uh you know um infinity gauntlet um yeah uh, saga, the, the like the yeah the the people being depressed about yeah like five years so, or many, yada, yada. Yeah. so many of the shows are are this you know this sort of like melancholy reflection on where the state of the mcu is uh and and this one is just like it's just fun it's poppy it's different mm-hmm. uh i i think it's wonderful I, I mean who knows where it's gonna go in the next several episodes i've only seen the first one uh but i think I think it's the best first episode of a Marvel show yet. And, and Agreed. I In terms of the first episodes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, I've also heard from other people who have watched more of the series that it's solid. So this this may be the one that I'm willing to be hurt for uh, again. <laughs> so we'll see. Ms. Marvel is available right, available right now on Disney+. Plus. Hey, I need to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, Quip. Oh, I'm a huge fan of Quip. We have four quips in our household. Quip, of course, the electric toothbrush that is loved by over 7 million mouths, including mine. The truth is good health starts with good habits. And Quip makes it easy by delivering all of the oral care essentials that you need to care for your mouth. I absolutely love my Quip electric toothbrush because it has timed sonic vibrations with 30 second pulses to guide you to a dentist-recommended two-minute clean. Now, the truth is, I probably never brushed my teeth for a full two minutes like dentists recommend before I had Quip. But now, I've been using Quip for years, and I never don't brush for the dentist-recommended two minutes. It makes it easy. I don't even have to think about it because it pulses after every 30 seconds. I go for two minutes. It turns itself off. Plus, the lightweight and sleek design... That is, uh, it's got it's got form factors for both adults and kids, with uh, no wires, no bulky charger to weigh you down. Plus, the multi-use travel cover that doubles as a mirror mount is awesome. I have been traveling a lot lately, going every single weekend to Atlanta. I bring my Quip with me in that cool little travel container. It's great. It doesn't accidentally turn on in my bag like other electric toothbrushes might. Plus. The reusable handles in a range of sleek metal hues, including their best-selling all black, that's the one I have, and the all pink, that's the one my wife got, as well as the bright plastic colors, sure to make a pop to your bathroom 
counter. Mine isn't on my bathroom counter. I use the handy dandy mirror mount. It's so convenient, so easy. It removes the clutter from my counter. Plus, on top of brushing, you can upgrade your Quip with a new smart motor to track and improve your brushing with the free Quip app. You can earn amazing rewards like free refills and products, target gift cards, and more just by brushing your teeth, just by having good oral care habits. Plus, you can also get anti-cavity toothpaste in mint or watermelon flavor that helps prevent cavities. They've got floss in two varieties, the floss string that expands to clean and the reusable floss pick that replaces over 180 disposable picks with every refill. They've got the refillable gum that's sugar-free, has a long-lasting mint flavor and comes with a dispenser. They've also got mouthwash, everything you need. Go to getquip.com slash filmcast right now and you'll get your first refill free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash filmcast. That's spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. Quip, the good habits company. Devendra, what else have you been watching this week? I wanted to shout out Evil on CBS, or actually Paramount Plus right now. It's not; it's no longer on CBS. Um, but the first, the third season just started, and I have been praising the show since it began. It is created by Michelle and Robert King, the genius TV writers behind The Good Wife and The Good Fight, and so many other shows. Brain Dead. Um, to recap, this show is sort of like X Files, except with a religious bent. It is about um, a priest in training who is pretty much like on his way to being a priest now played by Mike Coulter. And uh, his job is to investigate miracles and prove them, you know, or disprove them. And this is a show where the supernatural and the idea of evil and, uh, you know, religious powers, um, it seems like they actually exist. So it has a lot of fun with that um, of, you know, Mike Coulter playing this guy who sees visions from God, uh, who is basically going on missions uh, with his team including Katya Herbers, who is a psychologist. Asif Manvi is the tech guy. Um, they, they, every every episode, new mystery, you know, new weird thing for them to solve. And I love it. It's still good, um, you know, three seasons in. I think it went to CBS. Um, it went to Paramount Plus last season. And because of that, they got to be more explicit. They got to say swear words. And it is just a hell of a time. Um, they, they bring up like so many cool concepts here that I, you know, I expected in like shows from the nineties, uh, very cool monster of the week ideas, very cool, um, just concepts for it. And, uh, also want to shout out Michael Emerson, you know, from lost once again, playing a, a, a true psychopath, but he is having a lot of fun in the show. So if you like Michael Emerson in lost, if you like, you know, if you like Mike Coulter, if you just want, want like a cool supernatural, episode of the week type of story that has a really good serial plot too uh it is really funny it's really it's fantastic so check out evil season three just began you can catch it all up on paramount plus cool uh anything else you've been watching devendra i do like when you say that dave because that is like cool gonna file this away into the never gonna watch file (laughs) like never never I, just, just the sheer dismissiveness in that cool. Is, I'm, not, uh, I'm, I'm just used to it at this point. I'm not. You know? First of all, uh-huh, I've heard, uh-huh. I've heard that evil is great. I'm not uh-huh. trying to yeah, dismiss yeah. it in any way. I, I'm just, I'm just pointing something out. It's three seasons <laughs> in. Just, just, an, just, an, yeah, thing I've noticed. Um, also, uh, okay, how, it, yeah. how should, what should I, uh, short of actually watching it tonight, you, you what, what is a evil? better way for me to respond? You know, great, great suggestion, Devinjo. Is that, is that great, great pick? 
great pick. pick. I know you as a fan of the X-Files and a fan of like cool supernatural stories. Uh, I think this would be your bag. I, I legitimately yeah. have heard this is very, very good. So It I, is your I, bag. I, yeah. I don't actually, you know, when I say cool, yes, you're, you're, I'm, I can choose my words more carefully cool, to express let's move my on. enthusiasm. Let's move on. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool, let's move on. How about a great pick, Devendra? I'm gonna, that's my go-to. Great pick, Devendra. What else have you seen? Uh-huh, uh-huh. I wanted to quickly shout out Amphibia, which is a uh, it's a Disney series. It's about a girl, uh, like a teen girl or I don't know, preteen, who gets uh, sucked into a world uh, filled with you know amphibians, frogs, toads, and insects and things like that. It's an animated series. It is you know it's very much for like uh, not young kids. It's for like you know seven to ten year olds. But my daughter started watching it because she is just fully on the Disney bandwagon at this point. Um, I know a friend of the show, Andrew Sorsini, edits this show too, so I hear it is very good. Um, and we just started watching it, and I'm really digging it. It's really fun. The animation is uh, fantastic. Um, it may be a little too scary for young kids at times because uh, sometimes it just goes hard with like monster design. But if you have kids who are into, you know, frogs and like cool nature stuff, and they want to see a world where um, a society is built around amphibians. Uh, I think this is really well done, and I, it's nice to see. You know, we've gone through the uh, the Ducktales reboot, which is very good. So my daughter's just like fully on Disney, even though she won't watch like any of the Mickey stuff, right? She doesn't want old Disney; she wants new Disney. So that's how they get you, I guess. Like how many how many things have we talked about that are just pure from the Disney lot? You know, so she she is fully on board. Amphibia is very good. If you have a young kid, check it out. And how did you watch it, Devendra? It's on Disney Plus. Disney Plus. Okay, cool. Uh, that that one I will say cool for because I have no plan to watch that one. But evil uh-huh, uh, on my list uh-huh, uh-huh. on my list. All right, I watched a couple things. First of all, I had a chance to check out The Boys season three episode one. Have any of you been keeping up with The Boys by any chance? No, on not yet. Prime Video. I, um, I finished season two. That was fun. Yeah, yeah I, I I'm going to watch season three, but I haven't gotten to it yet. Uh. I'll just say, hey, it's it's fun that the show around that the show is still around. Um, it uh, the season three kind of reconfigures the status quo, like the kind of baseline status quo of the show, um, uh, drafting off of what happened in season two in uh, a pretty cool way. I, I actually kind of over time I've started to appreciate it when shows begin a new season or they end a season or whatever as like a, a dramatic change of the status quo, because I think it's like they've recognized, Hey, we've told all the stories that we can tell with this configuration and we need a new configuration to try to, to, to see what the stories might be like. Uh, Barry season three, another big example of how a, sh- a show that did that. Um, but the boys season three, I kind of just like the, the show's vibe and what it, uh, what it, its vision of the world, which is, you know, the fundamental, uh, core idea for me for the show is, hey, if people really had superpowers, they would probably be assholes, right? That's kind of what the core idea is for me that, that I take away from it. Um, we'd love to dream that a person with Superman-like powers would want to do good for the world and help people, but really, they would probably, you know, abuse that power or want to use that power for ill uh, ill ends, ill-gotten gains and such. Um, and... Uh, I like that sensibility and that kind of incredibly depressing, bleak view of the world because uh, it resonates more with me than some of the other stuff these days. <laughs> and also the show continues to be incredibly disgusting, um, just like really upsetting imagery and gore and viscera and just extremely messed up material. And there's there's really no other stuff that deals with superheroes other than maybe like 
James Gunn's work for Peacemaker and stuff like that that really even comes close to that that tone. So I'm grateful that it's around, that it's in the mix when it comes to superhero stuff. Uh, and it's The Boys Season 3. I'd recommend checking it out on Prime Video. I think they've released a couple episodes initially, and they're doing uh, a weekly release every Thursday, Friday or so. So, Okay, last week or a couple weeks ago, we talk- I mentioned Crimes of the Future, the newest David Cronenberg movie. And it got me on this whole Cronenberg kick. You know, I was like, I want to, I want to explore this guy's filmography more. And so I wanted to watch the 1996 film Crash that I'd never seen before. And have any of you seen Crash, the 1996 sure, David Cronenberg film? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You've both, you've all seen it? Oh, oh I'm sorry. Yeah. The Cronenberg Crash? No, the Cronenberg Crash. The other, the Academy Award winning Crash. Yeah, no. I've not seen the Cronenberg <laughs> Crash. I haven't seen no. the car fucking Crash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I won the Academy Award for that one. Yeah. Uh, Patrick, have you seen Crash? Yeah, I mean, it, it's been over 10 years, but uh, mm-hmm. I have seen it. I'll, I'll start by saying it's incredibly difficult to actually access this movie. Um, I tried to, you know, it's not streaming anywhere that I could find. I tried to buy it on streaming and I couldn't buy it anywhere. So I, I paid like $25 for a Criterion Blu-ray of Crash, the 1996 David Cronenberg film. And I'm going to tell you guys, I did not care for the film. I did not like it very much. Uh, for those who don't know what the movie is about, it is about basically a group of people that either have or already have or develop a fetish around uh, people being in car crashes. Uh-huh. Like they they are they are turned on by all the components of what that is, uh, whether it's the vehicle that's destroyed itself or. Um, people who are in the crashes who are injured and mm-hmm. uh, they they kind of develop a, a, a fetish or a kink around uh, watching these crashes, participating in these crashes, causing these crashes. Uh, and so overall, it's it's a really kind of, it's a movie that has a lot of upsetting imagery. We, we found the like truly upsetting movie that's finally broken you, Dave. So congrats. <laughs> well, here's congrats. the thing about this movie is... It, you know the the upsetting imagery is not what broke me. It's more like the movie itself is quite boring. Like it's it's, it's yeah, it's the, the, very little happens during the movie, and the entire tone of the movie is with this kind of detached. Like there's a lot of sex in the movie, but none of it feels particularly hot to me. It's very all the people at no point do people behave with what feels like recognizable human emotions. Everyone kind of behaves incredibly detached, almost like a like a Yorgos Lanthimos movie where they, you know, they talk like this. I am a person talking in front of a microphone, recording a podcast, right? And, you know, there's very little emotion. Um, Roger Ebert, there's actually a clip of him going viral this week about this movie and how he perceived the movie as about trying to break down the components of like what, what makes a, what causes people to have a fetish, right? Like how does a fetish develop? Like that's kind of what he sees the movie as about. But for me, uh, it, you know, it is, it is I think, a, about uh, technological anxiety, right? It's about this anxiety of p- people are, like, in cars all the time. It's like, this is late 90s. People are, like, in cars all the time, and, like, they're physically inside of a car, and in some ways they become part of the car, and, like, isn't there something really beautiful and upsetting and sexual about that? And the answer for me to that question is no. <laughs> like, I think that... I don't find cars sexy. I don't find like people in cars to be sexy. And 
And there are the problem is like today, there's much more interesting and compelling fusions of humanity with technology than there were when it was just humans and cars, right? Like people with smartphones, people with VR headsets and cables running to them. Like, like those to me are like much more of humans fusing with technology in a way that is aesthetically interesting and pleasing to me. A person in a car crash is just incredibly upset, just like deeply upsetting to me, right? There's nothing even remotely uh, sexually interesting to me about that. Um, but people with phones sign me up guys. No, I'm just joking. I just mean that like <laughs> I, the, the vision of the movie is yeah. People with car, like humans fusing with technology and Ooh, yeah. like, isn't there something Kinda like a proto to tan in a way? Yeah. Right. Right. And, and, and I think like, I don't think the movie is expecting you to feel that way about cars, but I think it wants you to at least see how someone else might feel that way. And for me, it's, it was really difficult for me to see how someone else might feel that way. Uh, that said, it's still really interesting. It's a movie I admired much more than I liked. And there's certainly like imagery and ideas in here that basically can't be found anywhere else. Patrick H. Willems, do you have any residual memory of this movie and what you thought about it? I, I, I recall liking it. I, uh, at the, I, I think I watched this like when I was in college. I was just going through watching like all of or at least most of Cronenberg's movies. Uh, just getting, you know, DVDs in the mail from Netflix and uh, I, I remember liking it, uh, but it wasn't among my my favorite Cronenberg movies. And um, honestly, I've, I've I've been thinking about it recently with uh you know with him finally back making movies again. I'm just like I should maybe revisit Crash. Just uh you know it, it's I don't remember it that clearly other than certain images. And uh and yeah, hey David, if 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 you don't want that Criterion Blu-ray, I'll take it <laughs> off your hands. Uh, I'm certainly willing to lend it to you, but yeah, it, it's uh, it, again, it's a movie I, I admire. I think it's doing something interesting and bold. And here's the thing: it few people would attempt to even make a movie like that, right? Few people would even attempt to say, like, "Hey, car." There's something about car crashes that like could be sexy. And imagine saying that to someone, like, what the reaction would be. Most people, would, the, the overwhelmingly vast majority of people, would probably say, "No, there's not. You're wrong. Don't spend years of your life making this movie." But it tr- it tries to do this thing and it tries to approach its task quite earnestly i think um and so there's something admirable about that um but it's it's not for me and it's not a movie i'd really recommend to anyone um but it's interesting it's interesting and i admire it so that's crash the david cronenberg 1996 film it's available on criterion blu-ray that's how i watched it jeff canada what have you watched this week well, I had a chance to check out a new Netflix film um, with Adam Sandler called Hustle, which is uh, a sports film. And I'm a sucker for sports films. Same. I love a, good, love a good sports film. Love it. Love it. Uh, and this is very much a prototypical sports film. You're not going to find a ton of, uh, you know, surprising uh, twists or takes or, uh, you know, it, it, it very much uh, hues to the to the template of a great sports film, but I love that. You're like, I'm not looking for it to reinvent the wheel. Um, instead, what it does is it delivers wonderful relationships, awesome uh, sort of um, displays of skill, you know, that you love to see in sports films. This is a basketball movie. I should have said that right at the, st- at the start, not just a sports movie. It's a basketball movie. Uh, Adam Sandler plays a scout for the Philadelphia 76ers. And uh, 
he uh, he's tasked with you know finding these international players flying all around the world and, and finding these international players. Of course, he finds one, and then it's him sort of like taking that young man under his wing and trying to develop him into an NBA player. And it's a joy. I, I love this movie. I watched it on the plane uh, on my iPad uh, as I was flying to a sports job that I do. Um, you know, fan control of football. I just wrapped up. I was I saw it as I was flying to the to the championship weekend. So I had I was sort of in the sports world, sports on my mind. Uh, they just announced they're doing basketball as the next sport for fan controlled uh, entertainment. Um, so like it, it just hit me at the perfect time. The coolest thing about this movie, well, there's a number of cool things. I mentioned the relationships. It, it I think it it really depicts a lovely marital relationship between uh, Adam Sandler's character and Queen Latifah's character. I loved it. It's not the kind of thing you see in movies a lot. Like there's no strife between them. It's just sort of like this loving, wonderful, wholesome family. And it's, I just, I, it works for me. Um, and uh, the other great thing about this movie is that it is just wall to wall, actual NBA people. Mm -hmm. uh, some of them acting as other characters and others of them just as themselves. In fact, the end credits of this movie, Hustle, is like 15 minutes of as himself, as himself, as himself, as himself. <laughs> and it's awesome. I mean, it's just just wall-to-wall -wall classic legends of the NBA, like Dr. J uh, and modern players. Um, uh, Anthony Edwards, like, acts, plays, plays a character. Um, Kenny Smith, uh, who you probably know from any NBA broadcast, plays a character like this. Lots of uh, NBA stars like doing an acting turn and I think doing well. Um, it's just a thoroughly enjoyable sports movie with great basketball, great characters. When Adam Sandler decides to not be a goofball and kind of settle in and, and do a grounded role, he is great. I really like him as an actor. And uh, I, I just thoroughly uh, give two thumbs up to, to, to Hustle. It's, it's not going to uh, surprise you in any particular way, but it is... Uh, just a wonderful movie to to watch, especially on a plane, you know? <laughs> That's awesome. I'm glad you liked it. I remember when he was promoting Uncut Gems, Adam Sandler said that if he didn't get the Academy Award, he said, quote, I'm going to fucking come back and do one again that is so bad on purpose just to make you all pay, end quote. <laughs> uh, talking about the next movie he would make. Yeah, I think he did that. W which one was it? I, I was saying, like, it doesn't sound like this is that, though. No, but he did. He's done like 14 movies in between. <laughs> Has he? I have not been keeping track of the Adam Sandler filmography. Oh, so. God. He signed that multi-picture deal with uh, Netflix and <laughs> yeah, he poops a out of a bunch of... He, yeah. he, he does these... What is the... Um, Hoobie Halloween? Remember Hoobie uh -huh, Halloween? Uh -huh. That came mm -hmm. out after Uncut Gems. Um, the, he, he does... Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. He lives this incredible life where he signs <laughs> this huge multi-picture deal with Netflix and he just he goes oh let's film one in hawaii with all of my friends and yeah. you know and then he and that movie makes a crap ton of money and does really really well for netflix and then he can go and do these movies that actually i think clearly this one matters mm -hmm. to him i mean adam sandler is a massive basketball fan he mm -hmm. plays pickup basketball all the time uh, you hear stories about him i think it's this is one where it's like oh i get to hang out with all these actual nba players and you know be in the nba i mean there's all these shots of him like walking around on the court uh, in NBA games that they clearly shot during the season or, or mm -hmm. made it to look like that. Anyway. To be yes. fair, to be fair, Hubie Halloween is the only actual feature lane film that came out before 
this movie and, and after Uncut Gems. Well, so. guess what? He lived up to his his word, right? <laughs> That's fair enough. But was that there was a, that western that he did recently? He did. He had like a five picture. That was a while ago. That was a while ago. But I'm yeah. saying there, there I'm was Murder at the MDB right now. That is the yeah. only one that came out before. Well, after. Have you seen <laughs> Hubie Halloween? Because it 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 lives up to what he said about the worst <laughs> movie. Um. Patrick H. Willems, you've also uh, done an, a video essay about, uh, I really enjoyed a video essay you did about which sports are the most cinematic, right? Yes, and something I, I, I give a lot of thought to. Yes, and I think you you eventually settled on baseball being the most cinematic sport, um, football being like one of the least cinematic because like everyone's wearing helmets and you can't see what anyone, like who the actors are and, and understand necessarily what they're doing. Um, I think basketball was up there though, right? Wasn't it like one of the more cinematic ones? Basketball's pretty good because it's like a you, fewer players usually uh, out playing at, like at once, so it's yeah. it's easier to understand the geography cinematically and everything. I think the, the the tricky thing about basketball cinematically is just that there's like because the court is small and there's so much scoring constantly. It's not quite like baseball where it's like like right. stillness and then suddenly one big spectacular thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, so I, but, but, but it, it does, I mean, it is, it is humans like leaping through the air. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and like, I mean, if you look at the opening, like, like any of the basketball sequences in Spike Lee's, he got game, which are all scored to Aaron Copeland music. Like that is, I think the most beautiful basketball that's ever been put on film. Uh, all right. I will. I don't. I think. I don't think I've watched that movie. But I mean, Hoosiers uh, has something to say about that. But okay. <laughs> wow. I get. It. I'm saying basketball is a good cinematic sport. I'm just saying. I think baseball is the top. Well, yes, mm-hmm. of course. Baseball is a is is a uh, a showdown at the OK Corral. Right. Exactly. It's it's, it, it's a shootout. It work. Yes. Yeah. So that's why it, it that's why it's inherently cinematic. There's lots of downtime. People walk out and talk to each other during a game. You know, <laughs> uh, you can have yeah. a little mini play on the field. Exactly. You know? but I'd, exactly. I'd strongly recommend Patrick Willems's video essay. What, what was the video essay called, Patrick? What was that one called? I think it might be. Uh, is it like baseball colon the most cinematic sport? Something <laughs> like that. <laughs> yes. Google that. Google that. Or the best uh, movie sport. I don't know. No one else has made a video about that topic, so it's the only one that'll come up. (laughs) Yes, indeed, indeed. I I, I think that is kind of an undisputed. I mean, there's more great baseball movies, you know, The Natural. uh, There's so many great baseball movies. Mm -hmm. Um, The Rookie, you know? Yeah. yeah, Rookie rookie of the Year. (laughs) Rookie of the Year. Angels in the Outfield, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, the bad news yeah. bears. <laughs> Basketball. You yeah. Know, yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, the movie is Hustle. It's streaming right now on Netflix. It's one of the things Jeff Kanava's been watching. Hey, I want to tell you about our sponsor, HelloFresh. You've heard me talk about HelloFresh, no doubt. I love it. I've been a devoted HelloFresh subscriber for many years now. HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh, pre portioned ingredients, and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. You skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. I tell you the truth, HelloFresh is the reason I have fallen in love with cooking. It has taken away the pain points, the things that I didn't like about cooking, like figuring out what I'm gonna cook, going to the grocery store and buying all the ingredients and then having leftover of the ingredients in my fridge that I didn't use in the recipe and I don't really have a use for now, so they just go bad and make me feel bad. HelloFresh! 
delivers fresh quality produce from the farm to my door in less than a week. I can savor the summer flavors right from home. I get 30 dinner recipes to choose from every single week. That's the most choices of any meal kit. I can do it right in the app, pick out my meals weeks in advance. It's awesome. And if you're going away this summer, you can update your delivery address and enjoy HelloFresh at your vacation destination with just a click. Plans are flexible so they can work even with your changing schedule. You can skip a week. It's so easy. It's so great. It's foolproof. These step-by-step recipes means a joyful cooking experience and a stress-free summer. Plus, HelloFresh cuts back on the time spent in the kitchen with meals ready in around 30 minutes or less. You can discover seasonal summer recipes like cucumber salad stuffed pita pockets, chicken sausage stuffed peppers, Tuscan spiced shrimp, and so much more. Plus, HelloFresh is 72% cheaper than dining at a restaurant and is even cheaper than grocery shopping. That's money back in your pocket. I love HelloFresh. I cooked one tonight for my family, and it makes me love cooking. You should get on this train as well. Go to HelloFresh.com slash FilmCast16. Use promo code FilmCast16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. That's HelloFresh.com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T-1-6 and the promo code FilmCast16 for 16 free meals and three free gifts. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Jeff, what else have you been watching this week? Well, I was delighted to see the return of uh, one of my favorite half-hour comedies from the last few years. Uh, Girls 5 Eva is back. Season 2 on the Peacock. And uh, <laughs> I, uh, I checked out the first episode of Season 2. I'm very excited to watch the rest. I, I talked about Girls 5 Eva when it, when it first premiered, I don't know, a couple years ago. Um, and uh, this feels like the heir apparent to the uh, to the um, Thirty Rock mm-hmm. feeling. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot. I, I talk a lot about uh, half hour comedies. Like I've said numerous times on the show, I'm always on the lookout for a half hour comedy. This like just it's just a a wonderful palate cleanser. It's a thing that my wife and I need. We need a half hour comedy. Can't just be watching hour long dramas all the time. As much as I love hour long dramas. You, uh, you just need to break it up. The end of the night, just like, let's just watch something funny and then go to bed. So I'm always looking for great half-hour comedies, and I found a number of them. I mentioned last week uh, or the week before, um, you know, I, I love that for you, which is great. But there is a very particular kind of half-hour comedy that I put in the in the category of the Arrested Development 30 Rock, where the jokes per minute average is so much higher than most shows. Uh, even these great half-hour comedies that I've come to love, um, the other two, you know, there's a, there's a bunch in the last few years that I've, I've really fallen in love with. Most of them ha- have wonderful laughs and wonderful jokes, but the density of the joke, the, the, the back-to-back, the like, I'm laughing, and so I missed two more jokes because I laughed, that's not common girls five eva has that where it is there the references the jokes the the plays on things are happening so quickly that you're likely to miss two or three of them just in laughing at at the first it's uh it's really funny it's goofy the the premise of girls five eva 
is uh, it's a, a group of women who were a, a R&B group in the 90s. Uh, they're Girls 5 Eva because forever is too short. Um, <laughs> and three Eva is not long enough. Um, or whatever it is. I don't know. Anyway, it's very funny. But uh, so, and they, they, they reunite as uh, middle-aged people. And, um, you know, they're, they're all like moms and, and, and uh, have other careers and they've gone on. They've, they're sort of one hit wonders that went on and just had to live lives as normal people for a while. And then they reunite and try to become a girl band again, but they're, you know, they're middle-aged and, and uh, sort of out of touch. And it's very, very funny. And I, I really like Girls 5 Eva. Uh, which is streaming right now on Peacock. Uh, and that is what we've been watching this week. I uh, really enjoyed that show as well, Jeff. And I think there's like this absurdism to the tone yes. as well. Not just the joke volume, but the this mm-hmm. absurdism that I think uh, a show like Girls 5 Eva and 30 Rock really captured quite well. So yeah. highly recommend. All right, let's get to Weekly Plugs. Weekly plugs a part of the show each week where we plug something else we've been making. Patrick H. Willems, I think you've been cooking up something for the last, I want to say, six hours, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, just recently I just threw something together, like right before I hopped on the, the show. Uh, had some fun. <laughs> what have you been working on, Patrick? Uh, yeah, so uh, over the last year I made a movie. Uh, Congratulations. It, uh, Wow, Thank you. that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. We, we, uh, we, we made a, a, a very, very low-budget feature-length film. Uh, and I will explain it really quickly. I actually, I, I, I practiced this last night. I timed myself so I, <laughs> I can do it in, in like under two minutes. Yes, and we should say the reason why he, pac- he, he practiced it is because it's kind of complicated what this movie is. And so uh, you have to have a, a whole spiel plan. So Patrick, take it away. It is a movie that you could argue requires more doing more homework ahead of time than a Marvel movie. <laughs> and uh, which is like, I don't know, in a weird way, a point of pride. But anyway, mm-hmm, the, mo- mm-hmm. the movie, uh, it is a I, I would say an absurdist sci fi comedy called Night of the Coconut. Uh, the premise is that uh, an evil shape-shifting robot from a parallel universe named Charles, which is like Charles but singular, uh, which has taken the form of a coconut, has become a pop culture phenomenon and now a multiverse-hopping law enforcement officer, a failed author obsessed with the 90s Nickelodeon cartoon Rugrats, and a talent agent must team up and stop him from murdering every person on Earth. And uh, it is the... Uh, it is the conclusion of the long-running narrative that has run through many of the videos on my YouTube channel for the past couple of years. But if you don't have time to watch a couple years' worth of YouTube videos, uh, we will have available a, a, a short five-minute recap that sums up all the necessary relevant uh, story information. <laughs> and this premieres on Friday on the streaming platform Nebula. Well, I would strongly recommend you check out Patrick's uh, video essays. And I have not seen Night of the Coconut. I'm looking forward to checking it out. We just finished it very recently. The the, the premiere is, uh, we're doing like a proper movie premiere tomorrow uh, here in New York at the IFC Center. On on June 14th. So, uh, Patrick, I know how long you've been working on this. (laughs) (laughs) 
and it has been a very long time. And I, I think it's you know always impressive to complete a, a film Seriously. at all. You know, at the yeah. end of every week, I, I say it's impressive that so and so made a film because it's really impressive. And so, wishing you the best of this project. Also, I don't know that anything like this has ever been constructed before. Um, <laughs> I, I remember like angry video game nerd did a movie but that was it was not a conclusion to any long-running storyline on the youtube mm-hmm. channel it was there's right. no serialization there so, yeah, yeah yeah this room the, the closest thing i can think of is like what tim and eric do with uh on cinema and their, the whole like mythos that has sprung up around that yeah um but i don't know that there's any other analogs to night of the coconut out there well so. the funny thing about this was originally uh you know we'd always planned to make a, a season finale as we called it and the plan was like oh yeah we'll make like a a 25 to 30 minute long short and it'll take a couple months and it'll be a fun thing for like the viewers who have like gotten invested in this and then it just kind of kept expanding because we're like we really you know want it to be satisfying we had this opportunity uh, and then it turned out that it, you know it was a 90 minute story that we were telling and so suddenly we're in this position where it's like okay so uh we made a movie but it's also a movie that is like a season finale to like a serialized show and so <laughs> uh so it's a funny position to be in but um but yeah i mean i've got to like here's what i'll say i am extremely proud that a we actually finished this thing and made it because it was hard it's been an exhausting year and also i've now watched the finished thing a few times and i don't hate it <laughs> i hate most things i make you know you're just mm-hmm. sick of looking at it all you see are the problems i'm like i don't know I, I i think uh for especially for the audience that is like looking forward to this i'm like i kind of think that people will be happy with it nice awesome well congrats again the movie is night of the coconut it'll be streaming on nebula starting this friday uh, and yeah, he, I, I know how hard you've worked for this and I'm, I'm proud that you're completed, uh, that you've completed it and looking forward to checking out the results. Thank you so much. I wanted to dip back in to everything, everywhere, all at once, which by the way, just completed an incredible run, not even completed. It's still happening. Um, but it's in the process of an incredible run at the domestic mm-hmm. box office. It's on it is now, now the highest yeah. grossing a 24 film of all time, domestically and internationally. Um, beating out Uncut Gems, Hereditary, Moonlight, etc. Um, and it just came out on video on demand this week. You can buy it now. It's apparently like the number one movie on iTunes. Mm-hmm. And so to celebrate that fact, I talked to Walter Chaw from Film Freak Central again, because I felt like, hey, there may be a few other things that we want to dive into about everything, everywhere, all at once. I would strongly recommend people listen to the Filmcast review where we talked, we all talked for an hour about that movie. But I'm like, you know what? There's probably still some depths to mine here. And uh, I, that's what I did. So me and Walter Chaw talked about everything, everywhere, all at once for another hour uh, that's available on my YouTube channel and also on Culturally Relevant. I'd strongly recommend it. I think it's a great conversation. And check out everything, everywhere, all at once available on video on demand right now. Yeah, lots so. of good special features. There's commentary and good stuff on that. Yeah, I'm waiting for the 4K myself. I so. mean, you know, you, 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 I wish they released them at the same time. Like, yeah, I don't understand yeah. this, but yeah. It's a, it's a digital exclusive, and then you got to buy the 4K Blu-ray. My, my 4K is coming in early July, so I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to that. Devinder Hardware, your weekly plug? Uh, you know, people keep asking me, what what is the best laptop to buy? And usually, for most people, if you're a Windows user, I say get a Dell XPS, either the XPS 13 or 15. I just reviewed the latest XPS 15, which has Intel's 12th gen chips, kind of the perfect 15 inch laptop. So I've loved this redesign Dell did. 
it's pretty much all screen. It's a ton of power. You could play some games. You could edit video. You could do 3D rendering. This is as close to perfect as I think a laptop can get, at least on the PC side. So yeah, check out my review. It's a completely glowing review. And yeah, let me know if you guys have questions about it. All right, that's the Dell XPS 15. Um, loving those XPS devices. Jeff Kanata, your weekly plug. Well, Father's Day is coming up. This is the last Filmcast episode before Father's Day. And I'm here to tell you, the only <laughs> thing that could make any father in your life guaranteed happy is a limerick! That's right, a limerick crafted by yours truly bespoke, made to your specifications to deliver the kind of heartfelt message in rhyming couplets that you are looking for. You can find that available for sale on my Cameo page, cameo.com slash Jeff Canada, that's spelled with two N's and one T. I just urge you to give it a perusal. Check out those five-star reviews. See what folks are saying about all of the cameos I have done. I uh, I, I I passed the 200 limerick threshold this week. Wow. Over 200 Congrats. cameos delivered, 200 limericks uh, I have crafted for folks. And uh, the, the reviews have been stellar. So uh, I think it, it is a really wonderful gift for Father's Day. It's been really, really fun uh, making them. And uh, maybe, uh, maybe something you might want to consider, dear listener. Cameo.com slash Jeff Canada. All right, a couple plugs for this podcast. If you want to support this show, patreon.com slash filmpodcast is where you can sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive After Darks. Again, this week on the After Dark, we'll be covering the HBO series Barry. Check that out. We're extremely grateful to anyone who can support us on Patreon. But uh, if you want to support us without donating any money at all, very easy to do that. Just go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your podcasts and listen to them. And leave us a star rating or a review. It really does make a big difference. I also want to give a big shout out to hashtag slash tag, which is how you can share with us your recommendations for what we watch during what we've been watching. Got a lot of good recommendations that way. Use hashtag slash tag in the future if you want to recommend something to us. Okay, let's get to our review of Jurassic World Dominion. We can't keep her here forever. They find her, we're never gonna see her again. We gotta protect her, that's our job. Humans and dinosaurs can't coexist. We created an ecological disaster. Ellie Sattler. Alan Grant. You didn't come out all this way just to catch up now, did you? You coming or what? That was from the trailer for Jurassic World Dominion. I'm going to read the plot summary of this movie from IMDb. Quote, four years after the destruction of Isla Nublar, dinosaurs now live and hunt alongside humans all over the world. This fragile balance will reshape the future and determine once, for, once and for all whether human beings are to remain the apex predators on a planet they now share with history's most fearsome creatures in a new era, end quote. Boy, that plot summary is certainly what the movie trailer sold. Uh, I, I don't know that it's what the movie actually is, though. That said, let's dive into it. Patrick H. Willems. I remember us talking about Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. We actually reviewed Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom on the After Dark last week, which is a very useful exercise because I'm pretty sure I would have found this movie incomprehensible if we had not done that. And one of the biggest joys you got out of how weird and wacky Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom was 
uh, was the idea that, hey, this movie, Jurassic World Dominion, is going to reset the status quo. Dinosaur is going to live among us. Cats and dogs sleeping together. Certainly, this is ripe for amazing thrills and drama. Do you think Jurassic World Dominion delivered on that promise, Patrick? No. (laughs) (laughs) Say more, Patrick. (laughs) Say more. Uh, So I, I am one of those, you know... Rare lunatics who doesn't hate Fallen Kingdom. Yes. Yes. Uh, Thank you, Patrick. There are yeah. dozens of you. It's, yes. it, yeah. It's, are it's there? Vivid you should have been on After Dark. And like a dozen more. Um, <laughs> Ten, tens of voices ringing out in uh-huh. chorus. Exactly. <laughs> Matt Solar Sites, I saw tweeting about it. Yes. So, yes. Uh, yeah. I, I remember having like a nice Twitter conversation with, with Matt like after when that movie came out. And we're like, we didn't hate it. There's some good stuff in there. There's good I, stuff. I think part of it is that the first Jurassic World, a movie that I hated, uh, had so like lowered my expectations for the series. And okay, here's the thing with Jurassic Park. This is this is not a series that like has this really high standard to uphold. This is not a sacred cow. It is one great movie and then a series of all disappointing sequels. You just yes. described yes. most franchises. <laughs> uh, but I, I don't know. Th- I don't know, Jeff. Like. Star Wars had great sequels. Does, um, Godfather it, had sometimes no great there's sequel, like uh, up know? and down. Like I don't know yeah. if there's any other series, especially <laughs> that is like as financially successful as this, that has such a gulf between a single movie and every other movie. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, and even like yeah. like I I think there's a bunch of great stuff in the Lost World, but like there's only one movie that everyone agrees is like good, and uh, and so Fallen Kingdom. I'm like I still think. Owen and Claire are arguably the two most boring lead characters in franchise movie history. Yeah. But it's still like that's directed by by someone who can direct like horror and suspense. And it also just makes a bunch of totally bug nuts choices. Where, <laughs> and I'm like, at this point in the series, that might as well be what you do. And and then the thing is the way that movie ends up, where it finally kind of it feels like Fallen Kingdom concludes by saying, you know what? Humanity is bad and maybe deserves to be uh-huh. overtaken by another species as like the dominant race on the planet. Uh, and um, and then and so and, you know, it ends with like dinosaurs going off into, mm-hmm. into the wild and you're just thinking about all the stuff that's going to happen. And there's like that prologue they released in theaters last year with like a, a T-Rex attacking like a drive in movie screening. And I'm just like, yeah, that. Yeah. Honestly, even though my. And, and I will say, because that premise, and uh, and this what I'm about to say might be a little bit controversial. Um, I I think uh, the Colin Trevorrow unmade script for Star Wars Episode Nine is pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Like I think the best thing he ever wrote by far. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of like, maybe this is the time where suddenly. <laughs> You know, he especially getting, us. Yeah. yeah, getting fired off of that trilogy conclusion. He's like, you know what? I'm really going to show people that like I I can really do this. He should have and, just shot that script, but just put dinosaurs in it. Jeff, nothing would have made <laughs> yeah. me happier. A raptor um, with a lightsaber. That's all I want to see. Yes. Anyway, somehow this movie completely squanders the great setup it's given, mm-hmm. uh, and just. I hate the first Jurassic World more, but I think this is the worst movie in the series. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, I saw a really good comparison uh, of the Star Wars sequel trilogy with this set of films, right? Uh, 
that now I think the Star Wars sequel trilogy, which is Episode Seven, Eight, and Nine, um, Force Awakens, Last Jedi, Rise of Skywalker, I think that is a far better set of films than Jurassic World, Jurassic mm-hmm. World: Fallen Kingdom, mm-hmm. and Jurassic World: Dominion. So, like, I'm not saying they're comparable in quality, because um, if you ask me to watch one set of movies again, I would choose the Star Wars ten times out of ten, right? Not, and I wouldn't enjoy all of them, but I would watch them. Um, but you have a uh, an opening entry that resets the status quo in an exciting way and introduces a new generation to this concept. A second film uh, that is darker and also uh, completely resets the status quo and makes for really... In- you could take any number of exciting directions with it, right? Like from the second film in the trilogy. And then a third film that basically squanders all of that potential and does something pretty boring and and not particularly interesting and uh, and sort of relies extremely heavily on nostalgia and what's happened in the past. It was weird um, where at the beginning of Dominion, they had that crawl at the beginning. There's like a voice rings out. It's that first doctor from the first movie. He's back. Remember him? He's back. He's going to mess some shit up here. Yeah. The doctor mm-hmm. lives. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I anyway. see what you're going for, Jeff. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah. yeah. I, I would say, by the way, the better comparison would be the Planet of the Apes trilogy, which well, did the, the thing. Oh, oh, the new Planet Yeah, the, the new trilogy. one, yeah. which is, did the thing where it's like, you know what? Humanity sucks. Let's kill all the humans. And they did it. And they made that movie, you know, and they made a whole, they, they actually reckoned with that, which, yeah, this doesn't. Well, I, I would say every single one of those new Planet of the Apes movies is good, though. Yes. You know, um, which I can't say for these Jurassic World movies. But in any case, Devendra, what did you think of Jurassic World Dominion? So, I think, uh, I thought the first Jurassic World was a crime against cinema. Just, <laughs> just something that I will hate to the end of my days, and I hate even more that it was so successful, right? <laughs> because it teaches the studios the wrong lesson. So then we got Fallen Kingdom, which I wasn't really uh, looking forward to. But I remember watching that and being thinking like, there, there's some good stuff here. You know, it's worth watching because yeah, somebody is behind it who knows how to build suspense, who knows how to do these set pieces. Um, so I'll say my expectations going into this movie, which is once again directed by Trevor Rowe, which is a two and a half hour long epic com- conclusion to this thing. Uh, I, my expectations were rock bottom. And after all that, <laughs> I, I, I actually didn't hate it that much. What? I didn't okay. hate it. I don't I'm think su- it's good. I'm surprised because I was watching this movie and I was like, man, Devendra is going to hate this so well, much. So you know? it's sort of like Fallen <laughs> Kingdom where I think there are good bits. Uh, I think Fallen Kingdom is still the better movie and the best movie of like this trilogy because it, it works. It does the best with these like awful, awful characters. Um, but I think this movie has some decent set pieces. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Like all the Malta stuff, to be honest, kind of worked for me, uh, mainly because it's tapping into everything I love from like the Bourne supremacy, right? Yeah. Ultimatum. And like, they basically recreate so much of the Bourne ultimatum foot chases and like some of the like bike chases in there. So they are kind of cribbing, but I think it looks good. Um, It is kind of a thrilling set piece there. There's like good ingenuity here. There's some good, ideas with these dinosaurs right like at some point we see a dinosaur underwater you know under ice uh i think these ideas are good i wish this movie was an actual follow-up to fallen kingdom which which kind of served on a platter a really interesting idea i think it's 
kind of hilarious that this movie just doesn't reckon with that directly. It exists, right? The dinosaurs are everywhere. Although I don't, I still don't know how that happened. Like, how do they get all around the world? Because most of those were like land, land dinosaurs. They're not swimming. Yeah. How um, do they, how do they, nothing makes sense. Nothing makes sense. Procreate and get big in what, like a two yeah. years? I don't, nothing, nothing really makes well, sense. Because the I, thing is, like, when at, at the end of Fallen Kingdom, there's like mm-hmm. literally like 30 to 40 dinosaurs yes, that are released. Yes. You know, it's not like a thousand, right? Uh-huh. You can easily hunt them all down individually. Well, the, but they, the, set, you know, they set up like in the first movie, they can self procreate, right? right. Like, the, notion no, no, is, part, yeah. the notion is that they, that they have peopled the earth. Yes. You know, that yes. they have, <laughs> they're that, everywhere. Well, that, that had yeah. already happened by the end of Fallen Kingdom. Right, it was like they are already all over the place by Fallen King. So it's yeah, it's it's it doesn't it's, make any sense. Uh, it's but, it's yeah. very confusing. Yeah. Um, but you know those handful of set pieces uh, kind of kept me into this movie. I think it is very nice to see the old cast back together because uh, Sam Neill and uh, Laura Dern have something that Bryce Darrell, Dallas Howard and uh, Chris Pratt don't chemistry. They actually seem to like each other, right? There's something behind these characters. Whereas I always felt like Pratt and uh, Dallas Howard's characters were like just are like stereotypes basically or they, they're caricatures of characters you'd expect in a movie like this and not actual people so i do like seeing the old crew get back i think dewanda weiss is phenomenal incredible i wish she was like a part of the series from the beginning because she has a great energy and she she is doing something right she is so many of these characters are just like reused uh spielberg and lucas characters and she is doing han solo and I like her Han Solo, at least. Like, she is interesting. She, she seems energetic here. So I dug that. Um, I think, ultimately, the, the big failing of this movie is that it is very dumb. The script is very bad. Uh, at times, I'm just reminded of how, how like, Trevor o just doesn't have any poetry to the way he shoots things, right? Like, this movie opens with um, a giant dinosaur coming and eating up something, you know, from uh, from a fishing ship, you know, and just, like, crashing that fishing ship to the ground. And there's no there's no build to it, right? There's no suspense. You see the dinosaur in the water. There, there's no surprise. It's just a thing that happens. And this movie does that so many times. At, we'll talk about. I don't know if we're going to do many spoilers, but yeah, we'll we'll do some spoilers. Yeah, but we'll, we'll do some stuff. But there's you some know, stuff it reminds the me. Yeah. There was a uh, short film that David Fincher did for Love, Death, and Robots Volume Three. Yes. Um, what was it called? Uh, the the one about the ship. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to find the name of it, which I will momentarily. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, Bad Traveling is bad the name of the, yep. the short. And mm-hmm. uh, there is a giant creature that attacks a ship in that one. And yep. it is masterful. So you know, good. How, how well that, you know, that story, that sequence takes place. And um, I, I, you know, I think the first sequence of the ship was supposed to be more like documentary as opposed to an actual set piece. Um, but you know, I, I share some of your concerns yeah. with the and visuals. There's a lack of storytelling sensibility here that I just feel over and over again. But the, the like, you know, lizard brain part of me that likes a good set piece was satisfied with certain aspects of this movie. It's at least like I, I could rewatch aspects of this movie. I will never touch Jurassic World again. Yeah, I was talking with Scott Mendelson about Jurassic World Dominion. And, he, you know, he was saying that. Uh, the the Jurassic World series, the reasons why they, they do so well is because they offer you something that no other film can or does, mm-hmm. right? Like no other films other than Prehistoric Planet or whatever on Apple TV Plus are are offering you dinosaurs. And right. yeah. people um, like dinosaurs. Kids it, always like dinosaurs. Yeah. If you want your dinosaur fix, no matter how shitty and shoddy the wrapping <laughs> around it is, you have to get 
you have to watch a Jurassic World movie. Mm-hmm. All that said, Jeff Kanata, what is your opinion on Jurassic World Dominion? Well, Dave, <laughs> my thoughts on Jurassic World Dominion are best summed up in the form of a limerick. Let's hear it. It depends on what you want to see. An A-quality film or a B? Call it something outrageous, the fast and the crustaceous, or the born paleontology. <laughs> wow. wow. You just born paleontology is pretty good, Jeff. Yes. Born paleontology is pretty good. Thank you. I'm siding with Devendra on this one, baby. Oh. Uh, <laughs> my... My expectations were in the toilet, especially after rewatching Fallen Kingdom so recently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This, and this is where I depart from Devendra. This movie <laughs> is so much better than Fallen Kingdom, just in the sense that it gives you literally anything fun. Sure. It's, it's base level enjoyment. It, gives it you is. That. Now, David, this <laughs> is your fault because you are the one that said <laughs> out loud to me, you just have to accept these this this franchise as a B movie franchise now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know what? I went into that movie thinking, okay, maybe that's true. And you know what? If you look at this as as an absurdly expensive B movie, it's pretty darn fun. Mm-hmm. That goofy chase through the streets has some pretty fun flourishes. <laughs> yeah. The the uh, there are these memorable moments. There's uh, Bryce Dallas Howard getting ejected from an airplane, and uh, like that sequence is awesome. And then her crawling through the the mud into the water is really cool. And and there, I mean, there are these visuals that actually work. There are sequences that, if you set aside any kind of expectation that it is a grounded realistic take on what it would be like for dinosaurs to be here. If you just like, you know, the first Jurassic Park was like, wow, it's kind of based in this, this notion of science and, and wow, what it would be like. And what is sort of plausible. If you just go, Oh, we're not in that universe anymore. Yeah. We're, we're in this, we're in fast, fast and the furious where a car can go into space or jump between skyscrapers or whatever you want to do. It's like, we're just in, yeah cartoon town a man can use a horse to wrangle a dinosaur that is like three times the size of the horse. yes <laughs> just like, okay sure whatever it, 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 if you just don't expect the movie to make any damn sense there's enough bright colors moving in fun ways that i i i came out of it going you know what that wasn't terrible exactly what devinder mm-hmm. said that was not terrible i think fallen kingdom is terrible i think Fallen yeah, we Kingdom. can we get into a fight about that. Yeah, yeah, we'll get into a fight about that. But, <laughs> but we talked about it on the After Dark. I, I just think it is devoid of literally anything memorable or interesting. And whereas this movie has a, a number of memorable and interesting things, I also think the movie, when the original cast is on the screen, because it's really kind of like two competing movies for most of it, mm-hmm. where you're like old cast, new cast. When it's old cast, I'm having a great time. Like, I want to be around those people. I want to hang out with them. They're fun. They're they're charming. Like Devinder said, they have actual chemistry. Anytime I'm hanging out with that side of the movie, I think it's cool. I think it's I, I'm I'm enjoying myself. And a few times I'm hanging out with the new cast, I'm enjoying myself. Most of that is throwaway garbage. Like all of this turning blue into a glorified dog and all that stuff. It's just so yeah. insulting. Yeah. 
You know, this movie doubles down on the hold your hands up and you can control any dinosaur, right? It's, Just hold your hands up, make it make a good stance. I uh, I think I think the 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 blasphemy of this movie is that they made Alan Grant do it. And I know. I, I hated it, seeing that. I did like, not want to see that. I did, like try, anybody try that with a bird or a lizard, <laughs> a toddler, try it. Try toddler, it. anything, anything, <laughs> a toddler. Yeah, uh, it's it, it, it's it's laughable. Um, and there's, you know, the movie is overlong and it, and it, 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 it bloated and ridiculous in a number of places, but having come off the excruciating rewatch of Fallen Kingdom, I found it to be fun enough that I was like, you know what? I do not hate this. I do not hate this. I'm, I'm, I've had enough fun in it. Is it good? No. Is it worth <laughs> watching for most people? No, but, <laughs> but you know, it's not. It wasn't excruciating. It just, it just it mm-hmm. had enough fun in it that I was like, yeah, that's two and a half hours of my life mm-hmm. that well, wasn't completely squandered. To paraphrase John Hammond, you were supposed to come and defend me against these characters. <laughs> and the only one I have on my side is the guy who made the coconut movie. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Well done. <laughs> um, I think this movie is very bad. Uh, I, but I will say this in its defense. I actually thought the first half of the movie was pretty fun. The first half, the first three hours of the movie was pretty fun. And then the second (laughs) half was, but the first half of the movie is pretty fun. Um, The entire, everything involving the original cast did not work for me. Oh, really? The the plot that they were part of, the performances, like it, it felt like they didn't, to me, you know, I know we're all imputing, we're bringing our own baggage and imputing our own, stuff into the stuff we see but um to me it felt like they sam neil feels like he didn't even want to be there you know like it just it did not it was not a strong performance in my opinion it, i did not need to see alan grant brought back in this capacity <laughs> that said patrick willems i'm curious like what did you think of uh the contrast between the old cast and the new cast what did you think of the old cast so a thing that i noticed while watching this movie is that in general it became way more watchable whenever it cut away from Owen and Claire. Uh-huh. Uh, always, mm-hmm. always. Characters who who just that they have like nothing. Ab- I just, I just don't. I fundamentally don't understand these characters I hate at them. all. I <laughs> yeah, and the thing them. is, like, they are both True. talented actors who have played characters that I really like and care about. But there is, I mean, there feels. It feels like, like there is no interiority to these people at all. It feels like like I I don't need everyone to have like a really nice tidy arc and everything, but I'm just like there's none of their relationships mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Are, are compelling to me. Uh, Owen Grady still feels just like a parody of an action hero yeah. that is just yeah. true, yeah, that who's just awesome at everything, and uh, and yeah. So anytime it cuts away from them. I'm like, oh, and especially to the original character, uh, specifically to uh, Sam Neill and Laura Dern, I'm like, this immediately becomes more watchable Un- because they actually have, uh, oh, they have like a relationship that feels like right. a human relationship. Yes. Um, they and, ha- and has been covered in, uh, was covered in both Jurassic World, uh, Park 1 and 3. Um, right. So, right. Yeah. And, you know, like they, they actually seem to have like lives and jobs yeah. while I'm just like, I don't like I I don't know what what do what what's Claire's job? 
Well, well, she started this whole mess with the Jurassic World, right? She's just living fault. off of her Jurassic World paychecks that she was saving <laughs> away. She started a nonprofit. Yeah. The, the thing that's now so crazy about thing. this in, entire trilogy is this weird line that they want to walk, th- this tightrope they want to walk uh, about, like, hey, dinosaurs, terrifying, the cause of all problems, <laughs> run from them at every opportunity, but yes. also let's save them and preserve them and they're endangered and all, you know, it's like, what a weird... I actually mm-hmm. I actually don't think that in concept is bad, Jeff, but not for this franchise. Yeah, I, I mean, yes. because the franchise is too dumb to support a, an idea that complex, in my opinion. What I will um, say is, I think there is there's one thing that I always point to is like the the fundamental misunderstanding of the Jurassic World series, uh, which is that uh, multiple in pretty much I think all three movies it kind of like visually recreates the image from the end of the original Jurassic Park where. The T-Rex roars in a wide shot while the When Dinosaurs Ruled the Earth banner <laughs> mm-hmm, like yeah. uh, falls down. And the true taste of camp in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. But I've always thought that like the point of that moment in the original movie is basically to to like to point out like these powerful things cannot be controlled. Mm-hmm. Trying to control them is a mistake. They must be left alone because they are just they're just too much for us to handle. Yeah. And they recreate that same moment in like all the movies, ex- except <laughs> in each of those cases, it's like the T-Rex is a hero and he's yeah. doing something. <laughs> right. He turns awesome. into Godzilla. He's yeah. Godzilla and he, mm-hmm. he becomes a good guy in a way. Yeah. Re- or she. Yeah. I it's yeah, probably, she, uh, probably a female, stupid. But, uh, yeah. yeah, but but like yeah. and and that thing of just like you know dinosaurs are monsters, but also there are there are friends too. It's like <laughs> it, it it never really picks a stance, and I think that is a recurring yeah. problem throughout. But what I was going to say was so with the characters, whenever it cuts over to the original cast, um, and I will say I feel like uh, Jeff Goldblum is in no way playing the Ian Malcolm of the Lost World, who had like grown up a little bit after the first movie he is just kind of playing a parody of ian malcolm from the original movie mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. it's like like i don't see any way that 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 character went from like the 1997 version to the 2022 version i, I but, do think well, like um, no, so go ahead. Yeah, no character is playing any version of themselves that's recognizable from the previous yes film, right? I, my, my I, favorite thing about alan grant is that his whole arc is like well maybe he'll just be the warm up to kids, and and this movie is like, no, nope, he won. He had he no won. kids. He, he won that <laughs> argument, ladies He's and gentlemen. He's exactly where he was in 1993. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, anyway, but, sorry. So, Patrick, continue. Yeah. So, but the thing is, the problem is, whenever it cuts over to the more watchable original cast members, <laughs> they happen to be in a movie that no no person paying money to see this actually wants to see. <laughs> Because yes. it's a movie about locusts damaging crop production. <laughs> That's so Absolutely true. Correct. Absolutely so true. Which is, I had heard about this before I saw the movie, and it still just absolutely blew my mind when I discovered, oh my god, it really is about genetically engineered bugs <laughs> and like this, this like bio, this this like evil biotech plan to like monopolize i don't know <laughs> agriculture the world's dumbest plan too right because uh she uh was it uh ellie looks at looks at one feels like huh those plants weren't killed <laughs> what are, what are, what's up with those plants biosyn plants what in Amazing. this universe in this universe in which dinosaurs roam the earth 
the main plot of Jurassic World Dominion is what if there was a Monsanto-esque corporation uh-huh. messing things up well, with, to, to be with fair, genetically pre- engineered locusts. Prehistoric bugs, and they, they are like giant locusts. So like, those can be terrifying. I remember yeah, reading dinosaur yeah, I mean, bugs you're right. as, books as every, a kid. They can be terrifying. Every but sequence not with those locusts in the lab is awesome. I will, yes. I will submit yeah, I, that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. But yeah, but pa- Patrick, were you finished making your point there? Uh, yeah. I mean, pretty like, here's the thing. I think the actual like design of the like especially when they have like the practical giant locusts up up close I'm like that's actually pretty gross and I could see there being a good movie that's just mm-hmm. about these giant bugs. Yeah. But what they are used for I think is just so fundamentally uninteresting and considering this this franchise has had so many like up oh, but there's a bad person trying mm-hmm. to use like DNA technology for for bad stuff. This is this bringing back Dodgson, a, a one scene character from the first movie, is the most boring version of that. And once again, it and after like leaving the last movie with the the pretty cool open ended setup of dinosaurs are loose in the world. Right away, it says, "Oh yeah, don't worry, we've herded them all up into a <laughs> contained area, just like in every single other movie." Yes. And the last thing I want to say before I I cede mm-hmm. the floor to the rest of you is that. The thing that I found in each of the Jurassic World movies is that while Owen and Claire are just like black holes of charisma, yep. um, there are always like two other characters in each movie that I find so much more enjoyable to watch mm-hmm. and wish they were the leads. Like in the first Jurassic World, it was uh, Jake Johnson and Lauren Lapkus as yes. like the computer people. I'm just like, totally. I, I if. If this movie were just about them trying to survive in dinosaur land, uh, it would be a, a hundred times better. In in, in Fallen Kingdom, uh, they had Justice Smith and Daniela Pineda who so appear briefly in mm-hmm. this, mm-hmm. and I was like, I like them so much more. I Justice wish it was all Smith about is a CIA agent. All of a bizarre, <laughs> and, 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 and and it got my hopes up by like having them appear briefly, and then immediately they, they leave. And the thing that pissed me off, oh, and, and also in this, I think her name uh, Kayla is the new character, yeah, who's like doesn't you know. I just rather have as a lead than mm-hmm. than the actual mm-hmm. leads, but it very briefly in the scene where they meet with with Justice Smith, he's going through like, uh, I I I guess like people on a uh, like like profiles on his iPad, and they show Jake Johnson and Lauren Lapkus for a second. I was like, please tell me they're gonna come back and like, come back. and save this, and uh, they don't. <laughs> that that and, didn't seem like very good information security, by the way. Like he's just very out there with classified iPad. Like so we gotta go outside, guys. This is secret talk right outside the CIA, uh, showing off all this classified information. Uh, so much of this movie doesn't make sense. Yeah. All right. Um, why don't we get the spoilers, guys? Because uh, there's a few more things to discuss. Uh, but let's get the spoilers for Jurassic World Dominion starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. You're trying to see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. Colin Trevorrow gave an interview with IndieWire about why he chose to end the movie the way he did, right? He's like, I could have had dinosaurs chomping on dinosaurs, but that would not have honored Michael Crichton's original intentions. (laughs) And it's like, dude, like, I am so angry at this movie because... It's very rare these days for me to get angry at a film, right? I mean, I'll dislike a movie, but it's very rare for me to actually be angry. And I think that I'm angry at this movie because it's selling something 
that is not what the movie is. And and I feel like I honestly feel like that's part of the reason why critics are just completely annihilating this movie is because the the trailer sells, hey, we're getting the old gang back together to do the dinosaur adventure where dinosaurs live amongst the earth. Well, A, uh, as Patrick indicated, um, the the bulk of the movie res- or half of the movie resets the status quo to what it was in the previous films where we put the dinosaurs in a small enclosed space. It's like the whole promise of this movie was that they'd be roaming free and we'd need to be dealing yeah. with them. And all Dominion, the stuff multi- Dominion of the world. Come and on. It, all the multi stuff was interesting. You know, it's like, uh, oh yeah, they'd be, there'd be underground dinosaur fighting rings. And like, sometimes the dinosaurs would get loose and sometimes you need to use a laser guidance to paint people and have dinosaurs. Ta- you know, that's all like kind of cool, fun stuff. And I liked how a lot of that was executed. And then we return to the original <laughs> cast doing this biosyn <laughs> plot. And it's just like, oh, it's so brutal. Yeah. It, it, the entire yeah. thing is so brutal. And and he, he, Colin Trevorrow is like, oh, I want to make a big point about mankind must be careful with science. And But he couldn't do that through dinosaurs roaming the earth. He had to invent some other, yeah. you know, genetically engineered locust plot to make it happen. And it just makes me yeah. really sad that the, the potential was squandered to have like a dinosaurs on the earth plot that it's really like he took away satisfying. the cliff's notes version of the original jurassic park which is a movie of ideas like that is why i love that movie yes. it is ideas plus action plus horror like plus great characters like it, it and, is so and also things. like yeah. in my opinion no as i said on our fallen kingdom episode no bad guys other than maybe the lawyer mm-hmm. right but no bad like everyone you know john hammond is a tragic figure he is not yeah. somebody who is a villain well, and Newman. Newman is still the best. Oh, yeah, guy, that's true. Yeah. That like, he, he, he is a bad <laughs> Nedry, human, Nedry. and like he he kind of started all that. But it's it's not even that, right? I, I just love the complexity of the first movie. And yeah, we'll never quite get there, but there are just no ideas here, right? Like, uh, Monsanto is bad was a great idea <laughs> 20 years ago. Yes. You know, and they're yes. not doing anything here. The idea of just doing a cool open world type of dinosaur movie sh- should have been the thing. And it's sad because like I was entertained by some aspects and then they'll do stuff like recreate the T-Rex around the truck scene from the first movie and just like ruin it. Just like there's no suspense. They're moving the the one rule, the one rule around the T-Rex stuff is you got just don't move guys. Don't move. And they're, they're moving right in front of this thing. And somehow he's not like chomping their heads off. So it just, it's like bad, bad staging for some of those yeah. things. Yeah. I gotta say, I always love Campbell Scott. Mm-hmm. always love that guy he's so solid in everything he does he's just it, it just feels like i don't know i just wanted to Campbell give a shot the actor who plays dodgson right yeah, yeah. What, what else you, you've seen him in that you liked him in jeff well i mean I've, I've i loved him from uh singles you know that was like my my, oh, my wow. but he's been he's shown up in a lot of things uh in recent years as you know in his sort of older in, incarnation you know a silver-haired uh yeah. silver fox scott uh campbell scott um but uh, I just I feel like anytime he pops up in anything, you're going to get just this solid kind of grounded, understated performance. And I just thought he was, I don't know, it's, it's a dumb right. part, but I thought it's he was very, great. He's Tim Cook. He's like, I just want to be yeah. Tim Cook. Right. You know, doing the dinosaur shit. And I don't that's know. Basically, I just, I just, I found he's, he, he's yeah. kind of like distracted and showing them. Right. I just it's I it's sold that <laughs> level of uh, yeah. 
you know, sort of pompous, uh, entitled uh, tech billionaire thing to me. I don't know. That was like, cool. It seems like he had an idea for the character, which I don't always feel for the other new folks. But like the thing about him always eating and it felt like he was on one of those crappy new age diets where if you, if you don't eat, like your body just collapses on itself. So they have that weird meeting early on where he's like, Do you have any food? I just I, I can't talk anymore. I, I got to go. It's just really weird. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's something I, there. I feel like all the character was trimmed out of the movie, though. Like mm-hmm, It feels mm-hmm. like he probably had some idea of like quirks and ticks this guy had. And it was all just removed because yeah. the movie is already freaking two and a half hours long. Um. I, I I will say that the the part of the movie that made me groan the loudest <laughs> was when he finds the Barbasol can yeah, at the end of the movie. Now here's, I mean, here's the question: how the Do hell you did he find that? Do you think that was the OG Barbasol I mean, can from has to be. Jurassic the, Park the, One? Right? It's, it's that retconning of like yeah. he, he this is the guy that he was going <laughs> to sell the thing to in the very mm-hmm. first place. Like this yeah. dude was going to. Was behind all of it all along, you know? Well, I think what we know happened yeah. is this Dodgson character went back to the island, mm-hmm. combed the entire island square foot by square foot, and found that Barbasol can. Yeah, and then I mean, the, it, to... it, it is like a loose plot thread. It's just sitting there. It's in the yeah. dirt. So he, yeah, fa- so he found it somehow. It was like finding a needle in a stack of... Uh, well, you, you know, probably Barbasol look cans. for try try to figure out where uh, what's his face died, right? Like, uh, may, mm-hmm. you, you have key locations, right, of sheer terror. Mm-hmm. So maybe, maybe, who knows? Uh, I want to say something quickly about Jeff Goldblum because I think I don't know about Ian Malcolm compared to his uh, Lost World version because I have not seen that movie in a while. Uh, but he is very much in the mode of the like '90s thinkers who a lot of companies hire now to kind of like justify what they're doing or to pretend like mm-hmm, they're, yes, they're embracing yes. criticism. I think the yes. there is a lot of garbage he's saying, but it is very on point with the shit I have to sit through from some of these uh, former thinkers back in the day. So I thought that I was agree. pretty wise. I agree that yeah. that was like pretty bang on the idea that like a company like this would hire an Ian Malcolm. Mm-hmm. But Jeff, I am surprised you did not bring up the following, which is, and you're usually very good at pointing this kind of stuff out, which is that in my opinion, what they did with this movie is they, they, <laughs> We we have not even talked about how absolutely nonsensical the actual plot of the movie is, putting aside the locus, right? But they started from the point of we need a reason for Biosyn to kidnap the girl and Blue, right? Right. They, 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 they're uh-huh. like, we need to end at that point. So how do we engineer the plot of the film to get to that point? Yeah, and, all, all of that retconning of the the daughter. Yes. you know she she really had this whole break. It, the, the, and it's like B D Wong is like, I needed both of you for reasons. Yeah, like, no, you're right. What? You're absolutely right. Once Dave, again, to bring this whole up. movie revolves the, around me. Yeah, the, and, the, and the, the reason you need both of them is because you need to bring you know the Owen. You need to combine those two plot lines somehow. Yeah, right? you need to combine the Owen Grady plot line and have them have a reason, and also like the the you know Adam the. Uh, you know, Ellie Sadler and Grant plotline. Like there's a reason they both need to go to the same place. It's incredibly clunky and incredibly clumsy. And uh, you're right to bring it up. And I mean, I think that the, the biggest sin that you guys have already hammered uh, on this movie is that it's only peripherally about dinosaurs. Yes. Mm -hmm. The dinosaurs are complete side characters. Mm -hmm. It's weird. It's a weird take. And and, and I think it, it rings of, being so far up your own ass in the storytelling of like trying to come up with some new take instead mm-hmm. of just going, what are people paying the dollars to sit in the seats for? People just want to see freaking humans fighting dinosaurs. Yes. Patrick Willems, back me up on this, right? 
I mean, it's true. I mean, as as much as you know, the original movie does have you know the interesting like moral questions about science and you know should you just because you can. The main reason everyone <laughs> saw that movie is 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 because uh, to watch humans try not to get eaten by dinosaurs, <laughs> right? And right. Uh, that 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 is the thing. And I mean, I will say the moments that the movie at least. Uh, at least a little bit comes uh, comes to life for me are in those parts where people are trying not to get eaten by dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Specific- yes. and, and, and I got to say, not not the stuff in like the last I don't know half hour or so, which is, we we we've talked about already. Like when when the whole group is together and yeah. there's the the Giganotosaurus. The the wrestling the, it's a yeah. wrestling match. Yeah, the new yeah. bigger one. Yeah. Like Megasaurus. It's a scary gotta be a one upasaurus is what yeah. it is. Yep. And uh like that stuff I think is pretty boring uh and not very well executed. But like, you know, the thing that Jeff mentioned earlier where uh when Bryce Dallas Howard is having to like slowly crawl into the water mm-hmm. uh yeah. to avoid that one. I'm just like that that like those moments when people are like trying to move very slowly, uh, and yeah. like to, to like, like, like when it's like a one-on-one thing of like one person trying to hide from one dinosaur in some, uh, you know, like natural environment. That you go match the first movie. That is the thing yeah. that was always the most compelling. And then I, uh, I will say, I think the high point of the movie, which we've brought up already, is just the absolutely like bonkers. Malta stuff yeah. Yeah. where it's just and I, I'm just like at this point because like like uh, you guys are all aware of like the uh the the I think the John Sayles script for Jurassic Park 4 that never got made the the one with like the kind of like uh weaponized dinosaurs <laughs> on like military <laughs> missions and stuff yeah. and and my thing is at this point you know this series has has, has gotten so dumb has had like so many like disappointing or bad installments just just do just just make it absolutely like silly gonzo stuff just yeah. like if the whole like here's the thing if the whole story were about i i never know how to pronounce her name is it like uh like like dyken lockman uh yeah she, uh, your your innie likes dinosaurs your, yeah your yeah. innie <laughs> Often spends like times playing with dinosaurs. Nicely done. Exactly. Nicely she's done. she's great on Severance, and <laughs> yeah. uh, but she shows up as kind of <laughs> almost like uh, to, like to make a Mission Impossible reference, like the White Widow of this world, <laughs> except she deals in like instead of arms trading, it's like dinosaur sales or whatever. I'm just like, if she were the villain with just her army of laser controlled oh. raptors trying to eat people, mm-hmm. and the whole movie were just basically like silly Mission Impossible with dinosaurs, I think it would be so much yeah. more, more compelling and enjoyable. She's so much also, more fun. She's a really interesting character because like as she's getting arrested, she's like. One more laser. One more laser for the world. <laughs> yes! She's got to sneak one laser in. You're already but, done, but you can, you can get that. that and this sets up laser. David's favorite moment in the entire franchise. <laughs> mm-hmm. When a man gets eaten off of a scooter. Yes, that's true. That's true. That is I my do, favorite moment. I, but do I, like, think- I do like the the absurdly uh, laborious <laughs> setup for that, where, where they're like, explicitly say... You know, uh, oh, they have a frequency where they can control the dinosaur. Oh, they can make them stop. Oh, they can do it. It's 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 so it's like dialogue doing all the work to 
just justify this nonsense chase scene where why are these dinosaurs still chasing them? Why? Why do they care about <laughs> these specific people? Yeah, uh, but I, I agree with you, Patrick, that like just having a gun. And there's also that uh, that like arms dealer that uh, Dykin Lockman's character was yeah. dealing with, who like yeah. looked so evil, right? Like the the dirty guy. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's a that, that's a great villain for this movie, and it's like, nope, we're not even going to acknowledge him in the second half of the film. Unfortunately, so well, they, no, he th- died. That's what's so he's, frustrating. He's been eaten. He's, he has been eaten. Right, right, sure. But we got saying, we got we got a nebulous uh, <laughs> biotech company to take down. You know, it's uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, they had all the. This is what's so frustrating is they had all the ingredients of a super fun Jurassic World, mm-hmm. and. It just completely goes to They waste. chose to ignore yeah. it. Like, I think that is the greatest crime of this movie is, like, everything was laid out for you. Like, that last movie was written by Colin Trevorrow, too. Like, yeah. he knew what he was doing. He knew, he should have been thinking about this stuff. Anyway. I love, first of all, I loved, uh, in the same interview where he's like, I wanted to honor what, like, what, what Michael Crichton was doing. <laughs> which, like, who gives a shit, dude? I love Michael Crichton's work, but R.I.P. Michael Crichton, like, you, you gotta make your own good story yeah. these days, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I loved the uh, the question was asked to him, uh, what did Steven Spielberg think of the movie? And here's what Colin Trevorrow said. He said, quote, he has seen it and he's very moved by the presence of these characters in this moment, not just after all these years, but at this moment in our history, end quote, which to me feels like Steven Spielberg didn't love the movie. He's like, uh-huh. yeah, the lighting uh-huh. was so good. The lighting. <laughs> <He's> like, uh-huh. <laughs> the editing was just really yeah. on they're, point. They're aging <laughs> so well, so beautifully yeah. well. Yeah. I, yeah so the, funniest, we, the funnier thing is that he thinks this honors Michael Crichton. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, we talked a little bit earlier about like the characters changing from, from movie to movie. For, first of all, we just watched Fallen Kingdom. It was heavily implied that B.D. Wong was killed in that movie. I just want to put that kind out. of yeah. No, yeah. nobody, no death, dude. Come on. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. There's a scene where like no BD, the no BD, NBD, <laughs> yeah, NBD, NBD. There's a raptor that breaks out and it starts killing everyone in the room. And like I thought for sure, mm-hmm. BD Wong was in that room when that raptor yeah. broke out. But whatever. He's okay, also he's learned right. nothing from his mistakes in that movie. <laughs> he <grew laughs> oh, he's making these mistakes over and over again. Yeah. It turns out, guys, the solution to mankind interfering <laughs> with nature. More interference by mankind with nature. That uh-huh, is the solution uh-huh. that this movie presents. But I I love how like every movie, every character is completely different in, in this movie than they are in the previous movie. The Claire character being the most significant example <laughs> for me. Now, in the first Jurassic World, Patrick, I'm talking about you, you know, referring to what you said earlier about the Claire, uh, Claire character. She was a kind of uptight businesswoman. Yeah, right? she, she was like in charge of running the park, basically. She's right? in charge of running the park. Now, you can convince me that that person is going to decide to not work in the corporate world and instead start a nonprofit. Like uh-huh, I, I, uh-huh. that is fine with me. And I mean, that's what she yeah, does. In she went through a pretty traumatic event. Right, 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 right. <laughs> you are not going to convince me that that same person who like just, you know, 10 years ago was um, <laughs> running this park and seeming to uh, relish some components of her job and, and take pride in her competence is now basically living completely off the grid and who knows like how she's even surviving on a day-to-day basis, mm-hmm. probably like living off the earth. I don't know. It's just a really big departure from that character. Yeah. Um, and I guess there's examples of people, you know, living van life after working in the corporate world, but I don't know. I just don't know that that is the it's person very, who I would thought would do that. It's you know? very dumb. Like her thing at the beginning is uh, we're just going to steal the dinosaurs, right? Steal them. And I don't know. Like what's and then they send them to the to the government facility, which sends them to Biosyn. So I yeah, don't 
she's like a radical activist now, yes. like mm-hmm. like breaking animals out of cages and like s- smashing vans through mm-hmm. fences mm-hmm. and stuff like that. It is, I mean, my thing is like, I get why she's the main character in the first movie because she is the person like in charge of running the park, which mm-hmm. also mm-hmm. means she is responsible for a lot of deaths in that movie. Yep. That she's clearly. Yep. You know, feel well that she she must feel guilty about. It. She doesn't talk about it a lot, but never like, mentions it. Well, n- not right. to mention the little girl releasing the dinosaurs to the end of Fallen Kingdom is responsible for for at minimum thirty one <laughs> deaths, according to the opening t- uh, sequence. Exactly, I, and so. again, the ending of Fallen Kingdom to me felt like like the movie saying like you know what, it is time for humanity to be punished. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh-huh. yep. This little clone girl <laughs> is is going to to just like you know contribute to like maybe humanity being wiped out. Or or at least damage. But uh but like I other than the fact that she was hired and had a three picture deal, I see no reason for Claire to continue to be like a lead character mm-hmm. in these movies. Or or Owen for that matter. <laughs> yeah. I like, would agree. Like, like I and not now I'm just complaining about like the sins of the first <laughs> Jurassic World, but but like fundamentally like the problem with Owen Grady, like as a protagonist in these movies, is that he's too competent. Mm-hmm. And so, and like, like the fun of these, like, you know, suspenseful set pieces yes. in the Jurassic Park movies is they, these are like regular humans yes. like yeah. us yeah. that we relate to with like relatively similar skill sets or limited yeah. skill sets to mm-hmm. us trying to like survive in these situations. And we can think about like, oh, what would we do in this scenario? I'd uh, put my hand like up us. and look sternly at the dinosaur. Dude. <laughs> well, really well clearly, and really then you crouch. have, yeah. and then you have the ultimate badass who like rides in on a motorcycle, just starts blasting away with his ridiculous. like his like tranquilizer <laughs> rifle. Uh, you know, can talk to the dinosaurs, and it's just like what. These are supposed yeah. to be like kind of scary, and it's yeah. not scary yeah. <laughs> when when like cartoon action man can just beat them all. Yeah. He is every '80s action star kind of wrapped into one character. So he's yeah. Burt Macklin, FBI, yes. Yes. as but played straight. No, mm-hmm. it's the, that's funny. It's uh-huh. the, it's a great reference. That it's the it, I think it's the same problem we're talking about when you brought up the you know the end uh, T Rex uh, dinosaurs shall inherit the earth. It's the same problem. And it happens a lot with franchises where the thing that was the antagonist, this is the Darth Vader problem also, Mm -hmm. by the Mm -hmm. way, is that the most popular thing, the fan favorite thing isn't supposed to be the fan favorite. It's supposed to be the big scary antagonist. And in order to uh, capitalize most on the popularity of the franchise, we just turn those things into the 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 good guy we make the we make godzilla save mm-hmm. humanity instead of terrorize it we make the the t-rex come in and save our heroes at the end we make darth vader uh the most fun part of of anything it, it is the same thing that's happening with uh burt backland is uh is uh we have to walk this line that I'm talking about, about, oh yeah, the dinosaurs are scary and they're our antagonists, but also we can talk to them and they're like our pets and we can, this one particular (laughs) one is like my my favorite dog and like, I love him and at the end of the movie, we share a knowing glance at each other because we saved your daughter. It's like, yeah, Yeah. it's, but it happens a lot and it's because it's a, it's a victim of its own success. It's a victim of, oh my gosh, I love the T-Rex. I love I love the Velociraptors. Mm-hmm. So okay, well, if you love them so much, we got to make them the protagonist instead of the antagonist. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it has worked in the past. You know, uh, Terminator Two, good example. You know, right. But it can't be done if you know the story you're telling. Yeah. Right. Right. But unfortunately, um, not really the case here. Uh, there was one scene in the movie that summarizes the whole movie for me, <laughs> which is they're on the plane, and the uh, character uh, Kayla Watts, played by DeWanda Wise, has like agreed to imperil her life and livelihood <laughs> to save this girl that she doesn't know. And Owen Grady's like, wait, so why are you helping us? And she says, do you want an answer to your question or do you want a ride? <laughs> yeah. And that's how I feel about the entire film, right? Is like, do you want any meaningful intellectual engagement or do you want to just be on board for the ride? Uh, and that is the question this poses to you. Uh, but at the mm-hmm. end of the day, <laughs> it's still, I must confess, mildly impressive that Colin Trevorrow made it. I, I feel like we got to put a stop to that saying at some point. <laughs> Just, just, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Any other thoughts, guys? Or shall we? You wrap remember, it up you remember when Deachin Lockman says, uh, "You don't use those on people." <laughs> Why? <laughs> well, why would you tell the person attacking you that? Oh, like, like the the taser, the, the electro or taser. Like what? <laughs> yeah, just really dumb little things like stick out for. Like, even though I, I didn't hate this movie, there's a lot of little dumb things like that that d- just don't make any sense. So, Jurassic World, everybody. <laughs> Jurassic World Dominion, indeed. Okay, let's wrap it up. You can Wait, find more up. Can oh, I say oh. one nice yes. thing about the movie? Please, please. Um, considering that this is the first movie in the series that Trevorrow has made since the first Jurassic World, uh, he and cinematographer John Schwartzman, who also shot the first one, they really calmed down on the really garish, ugly, aggressive color grading of the first mm-hmm. Jurassic World, and mm-hmm. it looks better than that one. Okay. You literally just said good the job. lighting is be- is good. Yeah, <laughs> I did. I did. But uh, but that was a thing that actually that really uh, w- w- not my top complaint of the first Jurassic World, but it it bugged me. And I'm just like, well, if nothing else, they 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 improved there. They didn't <laughs> the really improve anywhere Spielberg else. Spielberg said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I hope he did. I, I'd be like, I, I hope Steve and I gave the same, you know, kind of backhanded compliment. Yeah. All right. Um. <laughs> the end of that quote, by the way, is he, Colin Trevorrow says, I think he, Steven Spielberg, always knew that I really hope to justify why these sequels existed in the first place. And I hope I've done th- I hope I've done that for him and for the audience. End quote. <laughs> it just, the whole quote is just like, wow, yeah. amazing. Spielberg probably didn't like this movie. Yeah. Yeah. In, the, in the third movie, I needed to justify why we made these sequels. <laughs> That's it's, funny. It's I'm sure they actually have a great relationship, but just reading the quote, it looks bad. So. Anyway, you can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Support this podcast at patreon.com slash filmpodcast. Our theme song comes from Tim McEwen from The Midnight. Check out his new project, Varsity Blue. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker and YouTuber Kyle Corwith. Our weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross. This episode was edited by me, David Chen, Patrick H. Willems. I want to say thanks again for joining us today, man. And good luck with the release of Night of the Coconut. Thank you so much. Uh, guys, it is a, a pleasure as always. Next week, we're going to be discussing Lightyear, the new Pixar film, the first Pixar film to get a theatrical release in two years. And we'll discuss if it's worth it or not. Uh, it's also going to be taking a bunch of IMAX screens from Jurassic World Dominion. By the way, truly, the thing that was most annoying about Jurassic World Dominion is that I could no longer watch Top Gun Maverick and I this week. <laughs> yeah. By far. By far the thing that annoyed me the most. Lightyear next week, folks. Thanks for listening. We'll see you later.